It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, the Premier League and Serie A may be taking a break, but we are certainly not. We love international football. Hated, adored, but never ignored international football. We are all over it. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend... Adam, hey Rory, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm trying my best to be optimistic about Poland's chances. They're really testing my nerve and I'm sure Ireland are also doing likewise for you. But more importantly, mate, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. I am pretty good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I just caught the first half of the Ireland game. Um, To give you a peek behind the curtain, we're kind of recording just as the the halftime whistle went. Um... A brave, battling performance from our, from Ireland. They tried very hard to play some football, but two or many just pinged one top corner <laughs> from 25 yards. When things like that happen, there's not much no. you can really do about it. Uh, just kind of brush yourself off and get going again. What about Poland? It's currently nil-nil as we're talking. Impressed by the performance? Um, I can't imagine. No, not really. I mean, it's kind of a back-to-the-walls effort from the Faroe Islands, as you would anticipate. They are pretty much got six in defence um, and very little up front, but they have had a shot on target. Um, Poland have had six shots, um, but they've just failed to get the ball in there, and it doesn't look like they've been very clinical at this moment in time. Maybe a bit of a rejig needed in the second half, but yeah, we'll go into why I'm pulling my hair out with the Poland national squad later. <laughs> uh, but for now, I'm just remaining calm because it's still nil-nil, so we're not losing. That's the most important thing, Rory. That is all that matters. That is all that matters, really. That is all that matters. But today, of course, with the international football, we're going to be focusing on European action. We're going to be looking across the continent. We're going to be going from A all the way down to I, hopefully, um, if we can fit it in. And we're going to be giving you the lowdown on basically what's happening in each group. We'll, of course be focusing on the English national team. We'll be talking about Gareth Southgate, talking about Eddie Nketiah, talking about Jordan Henderson. We'll Mm. be talking about Italy, of course, 
as Spalletti announces his first squad. Immobile is included, Skamaka isn't, and they come up against an old enemy um, with equally kind of similarly large consequences on the line, I think. And as Adam said, we'll be talking about Poland as well. We'll have a look, a little bit of a look at Ireland and why Evan Ferguson's been keeping me awake at night. And we'll be taking a little bit of another look around the other teams in Europe and the headlines. Adam, I think, is there anything else? Have I forgotten everything? No, I think that's it. So let's get into it. We're going to have a very quick break and we will come back with the Euro 2024, 2026 qualifiers. 2024 qualifiers. I was right the first time. 2024 (laughs) qualifiers right after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. Welcome back. It is time to look at all of these qualifiers, all of the headlines around Europe. And is there a better place to start than Group A? I don't think so. It kind of makes sense. So, Adam... Do you want to take us through the headlines in Group A? What is the situation? What's going on? Well, lovely viewers of our YouTube episode will be able to see the group as it currently stands. But we have, for those listening, in first place, Scotland, followed by Georgia, Norway, Spain, and Cyprus. So, Rory, there's a lot of talking points. And I think if we start off with uh, the less obvious one, which is Georgia taking on Spain in the next round of games and the reason why I bring this up is because Spain obviously now changed uh, managers Um, they are having not a great start to the campaign so two games deep so it's still very early um, but only three points on the bag Um, yeah it's fair to say with the Spanish squad they really need to get a grip of this at this moment time but I was having a look at their squad it's not looking too uh, you know, star-studied as we're used to. I mean, we've got the likes of Yosselu, who's up front for them. So this kind of uh, spells out the uh, kind of situation Spain find themselves right now. Um, But the reason why I want to call out this particular game is because Spain have to go to Georgia. They have to try and win. And um, Spain, in the last three away games, haven't scored. So that's the worry for Spain as it currently stands. Georgia are unbeaten in the last seven in Tbilisi. And understandably, we know about Faradona. We know how big of a player he is for Georgia. Um, but they've also got the Ajax striker, Georges Makatuzetsi. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not too sure. Did a pretty um, good job there. Did a pretty good job. <laughs> I, I do fancy Georgia to be one of those teams that could be the underdogs that kind of make it into second spot. I, I mean, we're talking, we've also not probably given due respect to Scotland because fantastic start for them. 12 points on the board from four games. Uh, Steve Clark has been amazing um, and he's obviously made them a bit more resilient. We know they're going mm-hmm. to be fighting. Um, but yeah, I mean, what's your kind of current thoughts? Because also in this group, Norway, not in great form. It has to be said, they just need to find a way of getting the likes of Haaland, Odegaard and Solbakken to really come together. Even Alexander Solov, who has a good goal scoring record for Villarreal, even he's uh, scored two goals in four games. So not a bad return. 
Um, so they really need to get back to winning ways to stand a chance. They're currently, as it stands, in third position. They played a game more than Georgia. So it is very tight for them. I'm not going to talk or dwell too much on Cyprus because yeah, they're pretty much the whipping boys in this group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Georgia, Spain. I mean, do you fancy Spain to actually get a result there? It's a huge one, isn't it? I feel mm-hmm. like Georgia got a result against Spain in the past. They beat them, right? Yeah. I feel like Georgia have beaten Spain. So I think it's a... Uh, it, it, Georgia have been a, a an emerging nation mm. on the football scene for a while. Obviously, like Fadeshkelia gets gets the plaudits, but we have seen a few players come across to Italy and across to yeah, other yeah. clubs in it in Europe. As you said, the striker in Ajax as well. They're a, they're a country that there's there's a lot of excitement around their kind of youth, um, their their youth intake at the moment and what's coming out of that country. So I think there's a few countries that we're going to be discussing today like this, and I think they are mm. as always they, as they always are. They are one of the countries that's on the rise, and I think that Spain could be catching them at a bad time. Now, we know that Spanish football is in a right mess at the moment in general, all over the place. I think why not throw in the men's team not qualifying for a tournament just to finish it off like the icing on the cake? I don't know. Like Ultimately, Spain will be fine. Spain are Spain. But I think they might have to go through the playoffs. I think we might see them in in a playoff rather than going Mm. through automatically. Um, So I think Georgia have got that enough quality and they like from what I've seen of them, and I've I've watched a few games, but not a lot. Like they are very well drilled. Yeah. They know exactly what they're doing. They're they're not just like put ten men behind the ball and mm-hmm. hope something works. Like they really do have a system. They're willing to like they're able to attack. They're able to pick pick teams apart. Mm. So I think Spain aren't coming up against a minnow here. So I think yeah, G- Georgia could really have a massive shout there, which is exciting. We love yeah. seeing other countries emerging. It keeps it fresh, right? And for Scotland. They seem to always do, as of late, they seem to always do really well in the qualifying, right? It's when they get to the tournament that they struggle (laughs) a little bit more. But I think for Scotland, it's incredible. They should be at the tournament now. If they beat Cyprus, which they probably should do, I think they've basically qualified. Um, So it's really huge for them. And Steve Clark doing a great job. It looked like his managerial career was kind of a bit lost for a while. Mm. There was a bit of excitement around him when he was at Chelsea, right? When he was the assistant there. And I think he had a few jobs. West Brom, West maybe Brom, there was a bit yeah, of excitement, Reading right? Was one, and then yeah, obviously he found himself back at Kilmarnock, which kind of rejuvenated mm-hmm. his career. And then it was at that moment that he uh, took on the position of the Scotland national team when they came calling. And at that point, Scotland were probably, it's fair to say, um, struggling even worse yeah. than they are now. So he's managed to kind of galvanise them and make them a bit more resilient. I feel. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, they had to. Uh, nationalize uh, or naturalize, should I say, Landon Don- Donovan or Lon- London Dykes, even sorry, um, yeah. who plays for QPR. Um, I wish they brought that American kid. That would have been hilarious. Yeah, Donovan <laughs> could do a job in <laughs> yeah. that squad. To be fair, like, yeah. uh, no, but I think they've actually got quite a lot of. They've got a lot of quality. Like you're seeing now, like Gilmore, how he's playing at mm. Brighton. You've got Kieran Tierney, who I will never ever slag off. You've got Robertson. Like there is a lot of quality in that squad, and I think there's enough. Like, if I look at, like, the, the home nations now, they're, like, easily second behind England, easily. Yeah. And, like, they've got a lot of Premier League quality there. So I think there's, like, there has been a step up in level as in in regards to, like, let's say 10 years ago, the Scotland mm. squad, or five years ago, the Scotland squad. I think there is there has been a, a sizable step up in quality. But also, Steve Clark is doing a very good job. So we should yeah. definitely... We should, we will see Scotland at the tournament, I think. And Norway is such a mad one because 
I feel like they might be a nation that are just going to always underachieve. Yeah. Because they've got this, and it's it maybe like this poetry that happens in football or this kind of irony that happens in football that you have like two players that are on the Ballon d'Or list at the moment. I'm, I'm going to keep repping the fact, I'm going to keep mentioning this, that Erdegaard is on the Ballon d'Or list <laughs> and Haaland. And yet still, and you've still got, again, quality around there that play yeah. in top divisions all around Europe, but they just can't quite get it. And it's not like, I don't think they narrowly miss out on qualification. It's like they always just fail spectacularly. And then you're like, oh, Norway didn't it's get all, there. It's How almost like happen? the players do it deliberately. Like, just yeah. can't be asked for the national team. Yeah. It's just like, can't be doing with this. Let's just give it a, like, a flunk. Let's just concentrate on our club careers. But yeah, it's a weird one because they feel like a bit like, I don't know about you, Rory, but they feel like um, Belgium. Do you remember when people were talking mm-hmm. about this golden generation? Where it almost feels like Norway have like some really promising players right now. But they just, like you say, can't play as a team. So they just need to find a formula and somehow get them playing. Because on their day, they are quite clinical, I think it's fair to mm-hmm. say. Um, but I know even Nor- Norwegian fans aren't very particularly warm towards Haaland sometimes as well. I think he comes across a bit arrogant to them and um, maybe not really wanting to play for the shirt sometimes, which is a bit of a shame because, yeah, I don't think he naturally comes across like he doesn't want to play for them. But just the mm. nature of how they are. I think it's just maybe a mentality thing because I I seem to remember the last time I saw a decent Norwegian side. We're talking about World Cup 94, perhaps. That's probably the last 98 time. was the last tournament they got to, yeah. right? Norway. Was that when they beat Brazil? Am I going mad? I think that was Norway. Might have been. Was that Norway 98, 98 World Cup? Yeah. I think it was. But that is... That's like the first World Cup I remember, right? It was a very, very long time ago. Um, but I was just looking at their manager as well, Stella Sorbakken, yeah, um, Danish coach. I got had a fairly decent career as a coach, but he's been there three years now. Like this is his third year in the job, and it does feel like it's, they're not really making that much progress. So I think mm. they should. They're another team that I think should be in the playoffs. Like they're good. They're probably going to finish third in that group, right? That's how the playoffs work in this. Um, it depends how many points you finish on, right? Is that how you get in the playoffs? We had to do some research um, on this. <laughs> but it's, yeah, <laughs> it's it's super complicated alongside the Nations League. I don't know how it works, but I'm just going to say I think they're going to get in the playoffs. Um, but I don't think they'll get in the top two the top two places. There, ju- there just seems to be something just not quite mm. right there. Um, and yeah, with Haaland, just give him the ball. That's all you need to do. Just give it to Haaland, surely. That's all you need to do. It's not that difficult. Um, but that is Group A, I think. Anything else to say on Group A? No, I think that's it. So let's move on to Group B. Let's move on to Group B. Well, the good news keeps rolling in as <laughs> Ireland are now 2 0 down. Um, Taram has just scored to put them ahead. <laughs> this game was never going to be key for Ireland, right? The key game was the Greece game and we lost it in the last minute. Um, that was the game where kind of our qualification hopes ended, I think. But I'll take you through the group as it stands at the minute with France winning 2-0 and Netherlands winning 3-0 against Greece. Uh, France from 15 points. Netherlands are in second on sixth. Greece third on sixth. Ireland fourth on three points. And then Gibraltar obviously last on zero points. Looks like Ireland will be getting... Well, we won't finish bottom, so thank you, Gibraltar. Um, But in this group, as I said, it very much feels like Ireland, it was the last game against Greece that kind of ruined this. I think that was, it was looking at that group, it was always those two games against Greece. If we could get something against them, 
then we might have a chance at the playoffs. We might have a chance of being like including our Nations League performance. We might have a chance of not just going straight out. But after losing that Greece game and in this break, we play France away and Holland at home. Mm. If we get one point out of those games, this would be a fantastic international break. Like we're not <laughs> yeah. expected to win Very either true, of yeah. those games. Um so I think it's a really it's it's very difficult supporting Ireland. Yeah, yeah. It's been a very long time since we've been decent. And I was watching what I've seen in the game and what, what I've seen of Ireland recently. And I'd be intrigued to know your opinion mm. on this. Obviously, Stephen Kenny's come in and Ireland are playing much better football. He's bringing in younger players. He's bringing in a new generation, players like Ogbené and yeah. like Smallbone, who's been really ge- really good, even though he's injured at the moment. Like, But he's given a lot of players mm. their caps and he's trying to bring in this new this new style and this new generation, but it is coming at a cost of that. We're not really winning as much as we used to when we played kind of, let's say Tony Pulis football, where we just put 11 men behind the ball and caught Germany on the break and won one nil or whatever it was. And I was thinking, would I take having to watch that God awful football for us to win a bit more? And I don't know if I would, because I do in, in the spells where we did look all right against France, we were like retaining possession and we had triangles and little like yeah, yeah. building out from the back. And it's like, okay, you, maybe you just have to be realistic about Ireland's expectations. Like, what, what, what do you, how do you feel about the kind of style over winning when it comes to international yeah, football? It does feel like when it comes to the international scene, it's more about getting results, doesn't it? Rather mm. than the style. Um, but I would argue if you if the irish fa decided to pull the trigger on stephen kenny and decide to go down that route of bringing in mick mccarthy mark 500 whatever it be the problem is i don't know if you've got the players to play that style mm. of football so again you're kind of tearing up the rule books of what you've been trying to create for the last it feels like 10 years but i might be wrong in that quotation because mm. i know stephen kenny was behind the scenes right he was at the under 21s yeah. he worked so, with the youth sides as well so he's yeah, been yeah, working yeah. with this group of players so at some point it will come to bear fruition and i think you can start to see that with certain players making a name for themselves more recently and uh, hopefully you know when we're talking about evan ferguson i think obviously that is testament of that kind of he's trying to get the right style of football but yeah, it must be very frustrating as an Irish fan at the moment because I, I kind of see that with the Polish under kind of 15s onwards. Mm-hmm. They play these amazing like tiki-taka football because they're obviously inspired by the generations <laughs> and they they play teams off the park. But when it comes to obviously the grown-up kind of element of from under 21s onwards, they seem to struggle to transition. And whether that's because... You know, there's so much competition and the quality is that much faster. And obviously you're talking about certain players at even under 21s where they're playing for their clubs. And we're talking Premier League, Serie A, La Liga Mm -hmm. clubs, you know, and some of these players that we're talking about, like for Ireland and Poland, respectively, they're still playing for their home nation clubs. Right. Some of them are playing in lower leagues in comparison. So it's always going to be a bit of a struggle. Um, I, I feel like as long as. Irish fans are, I suppose, patient. I think another tournament qualification worth, I think we'll start to see the best of Ireland. Mm. But I think question marks will be on Stephen Kenny. And I suppose maybe 
the Euro Nations is probably his best bet to kind of try and progress this team because mm-hmm. you always seem to be unfortunately paired up with the big guns when it comes to <laughs> these qualification <laughs> tournaments, doesn't it? So it feels like that is what they should do. They should learn from the likes of Scotland and Wales and kind of work out a philosophy that works and grinds mm-hmm. out results. But yeah, I think if you break away from Stephen Kenny. I don't realistically know who you could go out there to transition and transform them into a bit more sort of resilient, maybe style of football. Um, You know, we're talking about the likes of maybe Gareth Ainsworth who can maybe kind of make them a bit more bullish and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, shithousery, I think is probably the right word here. But again, I don't think Ireland want to go down that route. No. And I think, largely i feel like no completely i feel very positive about what they're Mm. trying to do i think it is a good thing what they're trying to do like no i don't want to sit and watch big sam football every time there's an international break i don't want to have to go oh i've got to watch ireland i have to watch ireland at the moment i'm like okay i'm gonna watch ireland and i feel slightly positive about it because even if we don't win we're gonna try and play football so definitely i feel more positive about it i think stephen kenny is a fantastic manager i just feel like Sometimes the expectations in parts of the Irish media, when I do read the mm. newspapers there and I read their football punditry, are just so over the yeah. top. Like we can't always, it can't be Italian 90 forever. <laughs> if you know what I mean, that was never going to be like the island is very, very small. We're not a big country. <laughs> like, so I think, and sometimes the expectations get caught in history, but I think, look, France is always, France away. Like what, what are you expecting? <laughs> if we can not get battered and show a bit of, like, you know, a bit of quality, then I'm perfectly happy. And from what I saw, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but within this group also, well, actually, no, we do need to talk about Evan Ferguson as well, because this yes, week, um, the, as as the hashtag often goes around Irish Twitter, um, the Brits are at it again. <laughs> um, this week, the English newspapers have decided to completely fabricate the story that Evan Ferguson's going to move yeah, to England. I don't know where the story came from, but all of a sudden, all the English newspapers were saying that he wasn't, in fact, injured, um, that he was just a bit biding his time to see if Gareth was going to give him a call. Um, before I give my thoughts on this, <laughs> what did you think of this story? Do you think there was any any truth to it? It just felt like the English being the English. Um, I think it's a non-starter because I've heard a few times from various different sources that Evan Ferguson is pure Ireland. Mm. He, he, he's he got no love for England at all. He's pretty much <laughs> said it once or twice. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. So where this has come about is because he hasn't played technically a competitive game for Ireland. So mm. therefore it's just like a small stoke to kind of just piss off the Irish. I think that's all it is. Rory, it works. You're getting rattled. That's all I can say. It um, works. It works. And there was and a lot of Irish, a lot of Irish people. Used, wasn't it rice cuddling up with Jack Grealish just to rub it in for the Irish, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's been a few little bobs because on Irish TV, when Declan Rice signed for Arsenal, in the background they have videos of Declan Rice playing for Ireland, <laughs> uh, and they did the same thing when Jack Grealish signed for Man City. Uh, so there's been a few little, like a bit of banter across the thing, which is great, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, yeah, obviously there's no truth to it. Evan Ferguson's come out. I think even there's an interview from like a year ago when he, he made his debut for Brighton maybe. And I think it was Melissa Reddy talking to him and she was like, Oh, is there any? And he's like, no, I'd never be allowed back in the country. Like it's not happening. So obviously I, there was a slight moment where my heart was racing. I was like, Oh crap. Is this right? Oh no, it's fine. Um, but then all of a sudden I got lost down this wormhole of like, okay, right. 
there is a universe, there is like an alternative timeline where Ireland now have Jack Grealish, Declan Rice, Evan Ferguson, and Jude Bellingham, who was also eligible for yeah, Ireland. True. That was all possible. Now, obviously, the difference of Evan Ferguson is that he was born on the island. He's yeah. from, like, he's Irish. The others were English with Irish grandparents, right? I get the difference. But there is an alternative timeline where that could happen. Um, but I think, before <laughs> I get lost down that daydreaming again, I think that, like, um, it's really important that Ireland hold on to these players so I can be serious mm. for a second. Because yeah. all it takes is one quality player to, to say... Right, I'm no, this is where I'm from, this is where I'm playing. Yeah. And all of a sudden the next player down the line that you create, who is maybe a Declan Rice or who is mm-hmm. a Jack Grealish, goes, All right, I'm gonna play for Ireland and it just makes it a bit more feasible, makes yeah, it a yeah. bit more attractive, and that is how you get the progress. Because when Ireland were very good in the nineties, right? Obviously, we did take a lot of players from England. Now, these are players that England never wanted, right? No, Andy, like with all respect to Andy Townsend, I don't know how many England caps he was ever gonna get, <laughs> right? But for Ireland, he was an incredible player, yeah, yeah. or John Aldridge, or whoever. So I think when a player like Evan Ferguson is able to play for the team, it just makes it a much more attractive um, idea, mm-hmm. and then that is where the progress comes. So I think it's a huge, huge thing for Ireland, and there's a lot of hopes pinned on that guy. You can't mm-hmm. get injured. There's no way you can get injured, because people will have breakdowns. Um but it's an exciting time once he's mm. fit again that we'll be able to have him up front. Um, I think, as you said, I think this, qualifica- this qualification process is a bit too early and maybe the yeah. next one will be where we kind of see a bit more quality. But there are players that I've been excited about. Ogbené is a player I really like. Yes, as I said, Will yeah. Smallbone's a player I really like. Jason Knight is very good. Um, I think there's enough Bazunu, like there's enough young quality yeah. there that we'll see a bit of improvement. But elsewhere in the group, we do have Greece versus Holland. Now, Greece were making a right fist of it. They looked like they were really up for the fight. And they're currently getting battered in Holland 3-0. Now, people aren't or weren't very happy with Ronald Koeman at the moment. No. Nobody was really impressed with how he was doing. Um but it looks like Holland could and are on the way to improving, right? Yeah, yeah. There's always this kind of anticipation with Kuman at the helm that he will probably guide them to qualification, even if the football isn't the most desirable. But you think they've still got some really quality players on that pitch. I'm thinking Xavi Simmons, who obviously is back at PSG, if I remember rightly. Uh, Cody Gatko as well, alongside the likes of De Jong, who has gone quiet, but obviously we know about his credentials. And then you think about also Denzel Dumfries, he seems to always do it at a national stage mm-hmm. as well. Uh, might not do it for Inter, but he definitely does it for the Netherlands. So, um, yeah, I think they've got more than enough to pull themselves out of it. And, uh, yeah, I think they'll just have to deal with uh, Kuman later on down the line, I think. But I think it's just maybe a picture of that kind of Dutch side that we, we were so used for generations of them having really classy and technical players. And maybe they don't have that generation necessarily right now. Um, but, you know, they've got a good squad. I think they're a fairly strong side and you would definitely have them in the top 10 if you're talking about mm-hmm. right, ranking it against other teams. So, yeah, I think they're more than sufficient and I, I expect them to get out of this group, Rory, it's fair yeah. to say. Yeah, I think Greece kind of have maybe flattered to deceive a little bit. Mm. Um, And then ultimately, as you said, the quality for Holland came through. But we have to remember their performance in the World Cup was actually pretty good. Like they had some, I know it was under Van Gaal, but 
they did have some really good performances. Mm. It, obviously, it was only Lionel Messi who really put them out of the tournament. So I think there is still a lot of quality in that Holland team. They just don't quite play the style of football that we're accustomed to seeing um, from a Holland team, I think. But I'm going to leave Group B there mm. for now. I think that's everything. Obviously, Gibraltar are there. Thanks for coming. Um, <laughs> next, we have Group C. Now, this is where it's all kicking off. Kick this off. is where the Anglo-Italian really comes into full effect. Should we talk Anglo first or Italian first? What Let, do we think? Let's Adam? go Anglo. Anglo, I feel. Let's do Anglo first. Now, for England, this is kind of a bit of a low-key international break. I'm going to yeah. say I'm going to be a little bit cocky. Um, England play Ukraine in Poland, of course, on Saturday at 6 o'clock. And then the game after that is a friendly, in inverted quotes, against Scotland. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see how friendly it is. But for England, obviously, in the group, we always generally do very well in qualifying. One four out of four. Mm-hmm. Only conceded one goal. Scored 15. Um, Ukraine obviously are going to be a difficult team to come up against they've always got a lot of quality circumstances surrounding that team of course give them a bit of an extra boost if that's not too weird to say but you can see that they fight that little bit more their performances step up a bit more so I think it's definitely going to be a tricky game for England but most of the issues for England seem to be off the pitch as is often the case there's always stories in the paper so we're going to look off the pitch a little bit before we look on the pitch um should we start with the good? Uh, I don't know. Is it good news or bad news? Should we start with Gareth Southgate first? How do you feel about it? Gareth Southgate is going to step down after the Euros. Initial reactions? Um, he's delayed it for a long time. Um, I don't really know where he feels he's going to go on and progress. But I think maybe naturally he needs a break from mm-hmm. the international scene now. He's done it for so long. I think he, it gives someone else an opportunity potentially now to uh, test themselves, I suppose, mm. you know, whether they want to go down that route or whether they go for more experienced head. But I think it's fair to say he's developed something with England. It's just a shame that maybe he hasn't won more with this squad because I feel like that Euros, for example, if there's a f- bit more thought around his tactics maybe England go away out of that Mm. final against Italy and win the actual tournament. But there's been a lot of that during the course of a number of tournaments, right? And I I feel like he's probably mentally drained now from this whole experience anyway as well. Um, And it's very hard when you think about it. Like for the majority of the year, he won't be actually doing anything. And then the spotlight then changes Mm -hmm. onto him and... um, yeah, he gets that scrutiny quite a lot from the press as well, doesn't he? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, what, what about you? Do you feel he's naturally done well? Um, do you think this is the right time for him? And do you think he will get something better? Because I think I find when coaches have done really well at an international scene, they struggle at a club level again. Yeah, I think there's... Will he ever be a decent club manager? I don't know. Where do you go from the England job anyway? Again, without sounding too cocky, like it's the biggest, one of the biggest jobs in world football. Like, where do you go anyway? I think we might see him just step down and just, we might not see him, if you know what I mean. I think, Mm. I think Gareth Southgate has done an incredible job. I think he's done an amazing job and history will look back at him as someone who changed the England football team, not just on the pitch where we suddenly got to semi-finals, got to finals, Mm. where we were starting to fulfill promise, where he gave chances to so many young players. And all I can think about is 
fight before he came into the job, my attitude to the England England squad when England played was England are playing a game. I can't be bothered. Qualifiers, I never watched them. Friendlies, I never watched them. Um, I didn't feel connected to any of the players. I didn't care about any of them. They all felt like knobheads that didn't give a crap about you. I think what Southgate has been able to do, and the FA in general, because there's been a concerted effort with the media and Mm. everything, they've really connected England and the football team together. And I think in the... in the future, people will look back and say, he's a guy who changed the attitude towards the England football team. And he brought yeah. about a positive change within the players as well. Like, how many times do we have to hear John Terry or Frank Lampard or Gary Neville or whoever say in an interview and remind us for the hundredth time that none of them liked each other, they didn't want to play with each other, and that's why we didn't yeah. win anything? I've heard it in every single interview. And it's like, well, that is a value judgment of you that is mm. like you were not able to see past the club dynamics, and I get that. Like yeah, United yeah. and Liverpool's big rivalries, but Spain do it, Holland do it at times, France sometimes <laughs> do it. <laughs> like you know, what I mean? but like countries are able to do it. For me, that's a value judgment on you that you were not able to do that and put your country kind of before or prioritize something else. Gareth Southgate has been able to convince these players and get to the point where Bakayo Saka and Harry Kane are like best mates and I don't care about it. I don't care that they're best mates. I'm kind of happy they're best mates, right? So I think the attitude change he's had on the England team has been incredible. And I think regardless of him not winning anything, he's made me interested in the England team again. And for that, I think people will look back and go, no, that guy did a pretty good job. I don't know who you get to replace him. I've no idea. Like the Pep Guardiola story is just the Daily Mail waffling, I think. But it will be interesting to see who they do because, again, for for the first time in a while, it feels like the FA actually have a plan. It feels like they're joint up thinking. And, you know, there's like he he managed the under-21s. Now he managed the full team. Like there's that kind of progression. There's that like Mm. theory behind it. So I think it'll be interesting to see who they get. But I would only wish Gareth Southgate well after he leaves. I know that we could have won the final and I wish he was tactically a bit more daring and I wish he wouldn't just continue to pick Maguire and Phillips no matter what happens. But I also think that's part of what he's built, that squad feeling. Like mm-hmm. maybe maybe everyone loves the fact that Calvin Phillips is there and Harry Maguire is there and Harry Maguire is a, a leader within there and it makes it feel like a club. If that's what it takes, then fine. Like the, the kind of in quote smaller nations do it with Wales or Ireland or whoever they have that creating that club feeling is so important so i think yeah in short i think Mm. he's done very very well yeah yeah no that's fair enough and you can definitely feel that kind of philosophy of he's made uh, the players a bit more likable i think Mm -hmm. there was a point where english players weren't necessarily likable they were kind of seen as a bit cuntish i think yeah 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 yeah. 100% you know I think when he brought in the likes of uh, Connor Cody, for example, I was a bit like miffed at the last mm-hmm. tournament. The likes of Mings as well, um, but yeah, it's it's worked. It's obviously developed a relationship which has helped that team be become a bit more resilient. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's been for some frustrating moments when it comes to the way they play sometimes, and I think that was evident in the last Euro Nations as well, where I think a lot of fans were asking Southgate to change it up. And uh, maybe he's learned from those mistakes as well. I think that's the key. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know who he would go to, but equally, I don't know who's going to replace him. Yeah. I, I can't see anyone as a natural 
I think thankfully it. it gives the FA plenty of time to think about it. Really, yeah. Um, yeah. They should, hopefully they had a plan anyway. But if they didn't, mm-hmm. they should have plenty of time to figure it out. So I think it's 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 the correct way to do it. It gives him one last tournament that I genuinely think we have a chance of winning. I think it's like a really good way to do mm-hmm. it. So yeah, thank you, Gareth. And one more, let's just go for one more. <laughs> just one more go, please. That's Take it. us the whole way. Um, but we do need to go to the kind of negative news within England. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see what the reception is. Now, if you have a subscription to The Athletic or if you are on Twitter, um, you will have seen what has been the PR crash of the week, I'm going to say, because, well, maybe United have had a few bigger this week, but one of the <laughs> yeah, biggest PR true. crashes of, of the week um, is Jordan Henderson's fascinating interview with um it was with adam crafton and david ornstein right who went over to saudi arabia to interview him i'm just going to quickly say off the bat um in the interview he said that he invited adam crafton because adam grafton is part of the lgbtq community um and he wanted to face up to that community and you know take on someone within that community and explain to them to explain to them what he did i'm quite cynical um i saw that as a kind of if i explain it to like in quotes one of them it'll give me some brownie points in the fact that i've been brave enough to talk about it that's how i saw it um Mm -hmm. i think adam crafton as always handled it incredibly well and grilled jordan henderson and kind of absolutely roasted him without jordan henderson even really realizing i think (laughs) really know did he um but before we kind of talk about specifics within the within the um, interview, Adam, what were your first impressions of the interview, and do you do you believe a single word he said? No, I don't believe anything he said. It was every line of what I read was almost like a contradiction. Mm. It was just like roll my eyes for the fifteenth time. Like really, like are you genuinely like not? thinking this through properly or have you not thought this through i mean even i think there was a quotation marks of uh we've tried to leave as much of this like content for you to make judgment um on the agreement with jordan henderson but we've also had to delete a lot of it because he was going through the same stuff again which Mm -hmm. kind of feels like right he had a script he knew what he was sticking to um and yeah, I mean, we, we might as well start by going into the details. Now, you've you've kind of said the probably the key bit, which is where Adam Crafton and kind of questions him about Qatar, and uh, he kind of it was basically a typical "I've been brainwashed, I've been sports washed here on this occasion." I met these workers; there didn't seem to be any abuses. <sighs> But then it was like, Jordan, come on, wake up. You weren't going to be exposed I to just, the dead workers. You weren't I can't going to be deal. Like, I can't deal with it. Worst cases. Like, how did they not see this? I don't understand it. And then he goes on to saying, I'm not a politician. Mm. I, I'm not there to change the world. And then he talks about the LGBTQ stuff, which we'll go into a separate mm. section. But if we start with that sports washing bit, I mean, it was just like. Jordan, come on, wake up. Like, where have you been these, like, 12 to, say, 24 months? Like, come on. Like, you're saying that you didn't really see or hear about stories like this and you didn't explore it? He came across as just profoundly thick. Just really <laughs> yeah. thick. Yeah. Just, yeah. and I thought, <laughs> fuck, you've not got two brain cells to rub together. Like, it was the, I always call it, 
the Beckenbauer response because the first person I heard give this answer was Franz Beckenbauer, which was, well, I went to Qatar and everyone was happy, so everything must be fine. Yeah, well, they just freshly painted the fucking walls for you, Franz. Of course everything was fine. It's like the Queen must have walked around England imagining everything was fantastic and everyone was happy because that's all she ever bloody saw. Like, it just, it is the thickest possible response of, well, Mm. they showed me some workers, they seemed pretty happy, so therefore the rest of it's all bullshit. I just think it takes two minutes for a person, that's what we talk about, for a person to Google Qatar Qatar workers and look at the first stories. You don't even put in human rights or bias it. Just put Qatar World Cup workers and see what stories come up. It's not going to be the positive stories, right? It doesn't take long, and I just think... When he said that and then followed it up with the thing about, because he sent that awful cringy tweet post his game at Al Etifak, which was like, and the crowd were so welcoming and happy in this fantastic kingdom. And it was like, he followed it up by saying, they don't tell me what to say. There's nothing I contractually have to say. There's nothing, but I bet there's things that's contractually you can't say. Like, yes. and it was just it was full of hypocrisies like that. And then it comes to the LGBTQ thing, which is like, obviously why he's become such a focus of it. I think if he was an English player who'd gone, there would still be criticism, but because of where he put himself in the stance of an, an ally, it's obviously put him out there for more criticism. Yeah. He tried to kind of fob it off with like, well, I've got family members who are a part of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you have. And that's why Adam Crafton mm-hmm. was like, well, what did they think? And he kind of avoids the question. Um, but the way he said, I've worn the armband, I've worn the shoelaces, like he yeah, was like, was... like he was kind of running at police or like saving people. It's like, mate, you did the bare minimum. And yeah. then at the World Cup, when it was really on the line, the whole England team just backed down and refused to wear the way. They just said, no, we won't do it. So let's not put yourself out as some kind of martyr here, as some kind of hero. When it really mattered, you've already bottled it. So don't tell us now that you have, like, it just, I thought, whatever respect I have for the bloke, I lost when he made the move anyway, but it's now completely gone. And I think the idea that he could look someone in the eye with a straight face and say the money was never even talked about is sod off sod off like if i even in my industry teaching english abroad right if you work in saudi arabia or dubai you get so much more money people just know that that's what happens if someone says there's a job in saudi arabia you add a zero onto whatever money you're earning now maybe two because oh it's saudi right you can't tell me that you why not go to the League of Ireland? Why not try and build the League of Ireland then yeah, if money's not an issue? Yeah. Why not go to Scotland? Why not, like, don't fucking piss on us and tell us it's raining. If you know what I mean? It's yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. And I think, hopefully, he's realizing how much of a PR crash it was. And I also hope that the England fans, if he does start tomorrow, boo him every time he touches the ball. I really hope yeah. it happens. Because he needs to be reminded exactly that it's not just social media that people are are angry with him like we're a forward-thinking country it's not like my last thing on it as well is not accept he says you have to accept other people's culture right and i get that right if i was in a muslim country i would obey their 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 culture right i would kind of i I don't know what the rules are i don't want to make them up but whatever rules they had is towards the mosque or eating whatever it is these things that are like important to them but when it comes to like killing people because of not a choice 
but of who they are. That isn't a culture. That isn't culture. No. That is hatred. And it is politics, no matter how you want to say it isn't. Like, I just think it's absolutely disgusting. It's disgusting. And yeah, he shouldn't, on that alone, Gareth Southgate shouldn't have picked him. Just, now nah, you're done, mate. Sorry. Yeah, and that, that, that was the funny thing, wasn't it, as well, that the angle of Liverpool didn't really say that they wanted me to stay. It was like, well, I, I, I think the narrative there was they got a big lump sum guaranteed for your services. Like, yeah. they had an option... And they decided to accept a bid. And that's all it was. Jurgen Klopp fought for him to get a contract. It's why Michael Edwards left. Because Jurgen Klopp insisted that he got his last contract. And him and Michael Edwards, I think it was Michael Edwards, right? They they disagreed so so much that he left the job and Klopp gave him a contract. Don't tell us that Klopp didn't want you there. Don't tell us that Liverpool owe you something. Oh, Liverpool don't owe you nothing. Like, they've paid you quite a lot of money for a long time. Yes, you've been a fantastic servant for them, but don't don't pretend like you've been shortchanged here. Like, it really, really annoyed me. And I know a lot of Liverpool fans are already saying he's gone from, like, potential, like, club legend lifting legend, the Champions yeah. League to just, they will never think of him again. Like, no, that's it. It's that's done. It. And that's it's it. Done. He's done. Unfortunately, he just killed himself with just that one interview alone. And I think his PR team thought it would do the reverse. Yeah. They thought it would literally just cover all the cracks and kind of make it sound like actually he's genuine like about the challenge he's yeah, yeah, genuine yeah. about making the changes but he really wanted again, to work he, with the football genius that is stevie j oh, like of course it is yeah, <laughs> yeah but even when he was challenged on that kind of lgbq2 kind of stance he said uh, along the lines of um yeah I, I probably would try and do something but out of respect for the culture and the beliefs of this country i wouldn't want to step on them like, so basically, you're not going to do no. anything. You're just there to be the puppet. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah, just enjoy yourself down there. Yeah. But don't come and moan at us when you're not picked for England. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, he will be picked, unfortunately. No, well, of course he will. Yeah, of course he will. Rightly, he's got to be booed. Of course he will. And uh, yeah, like last, last thing, he said that, like, you know, him being there with his beliefs it shows the country and the population that you know that it's okay. No, 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 it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What Saudi Arabia have done is they've bought a player who was the loudest about these things. And they've gone, look, look how much your beliefs mean. There you go. Yeah, gone. Basically. We've got the most yeah. important one. We've got the one who spoke about it the most. What are you going to do? Like yeah. it does the complete opposite and he doesn't even see it. So Yeah. Best of luck to you, mate, honestly. Um, I really can't be doing with him, and I hope we don't see him on the pitch. And if we do, he's booed. But we're going to go to on the pitch for England. Um, yes. And I want to very quickly say two new call-ups for England, which is pretty exciting. Levi Colwell um, from yes. Chelsea, and the one I actually want to talk about, Eddie Nketiah. I'm absolutely delighted for him. I know that there was a lot of people, and I'm going to get your opinion on what you think of him being mm-hmm. called up, because obviously I'm quite biased. But... I think the amount of work he's put in on the pitch and his performances for uh, for Arsenal recently, including his goal return, I think he deserves it. Um, what were your first impressions when you saw Eddie and Ketty called up? Because I think Ollie Watkins arguably deserved it a bit more uh, from an unbiased point of view. Yeah, yeah. I think given that Ollie Watkins has been in the squad as well, I would have thought he'd be called up. But I think Nketiah, he gives that kind of Emil Heskey vibes of he works hard for the yeah. team. And I, I think that's probably where he's been brought into. You know, he reminds me of well, like even beyond that, like Danny Welbeck. He mm-hmm. used to play really hard for the team rather than chase. And I think that's the kind of angle that maybe Southgate is looking at is that 
he can harass the defenders, tie them out, and then swap like the striker for someone else. And then there's going to be a fresh pair of legs mm-hmm. and literally you'll get some late goals out of it. And I think that's probably a clever move to do given the kind of opposition that England have. So mm-hmm. fair play, you know, if Eddie Nketiah does come on the pitch, he deserves it. I think if you look at that performance against Man United, he definitely harassed the defenders there in that particular match, gave it a hard match for the likes of Martinez as well as Lindelof. So I, I think he deserves a chance. But when I think about when the players are all fit and you know they're ready to be picks, and this includes the likes of Ivan Tony, I don't think he actually yeah. gets into that squad. But for like something like this, I don't begrudge him having mm-hmm. a chance. Yeah, no, I'm I'm honestly so happy for him. I think he's improved over the last couple of years immeasurably. He still needs to get a few more goals for his, his all-round play. And I think him being coached by Arteta and working with Gabriel Jesus has really improved him yeah, a absolutely. lot. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm absolutely delighted for him. Could not yeah. be happier. Um, obviously, the two games for England are Ukraine and Scotland. I expect England to kind of get a result against Ukraine, to be honest. I don't think yeah. there's much to really be said there. Anything else we need to say about England before we talk about Italy? No, let's move on to Italy. Let's move on to Italy. Luciano Spalletti has announced his first squad for Italy. Mm. Um, and it's upset a few people. There's no place for Bonucci <laughs> or Jorginho. Yeah. Hmm, sad times. Um, kind of yeah. changing of the guard there a little bit. I think that's a statement straight away, really. Especially Jorginho. Yeah. I think it's kind of a, uh, and we're moving on, which is fine. Um, but the yeah. one that's upset people a lot, and it happens every time Italy have to play, People are debating about Chiodo Immobile again um, because yes. he hasn't done much for Italy for a while. Uh, he did score yeah. in the Nations League semi-final against Spain, I believe. Um, but he's also missed a lot of games for, for Italy for through injury. He's got one goal so far this season for Lazio. But he's a player who obviously has been quite anonymous in tournaments for Italy. I always think back to the Euros. I think he was fairly poor. Yeah. Um, and I think Italy fans are kind of a little bit sick of him. But every English, uh, every Italian football legend, uh, such as Pippo Inzaghi this week, will come out and say, no, this is one of the greatest goal scorers in, Italians, in Italy's history, in Serie A's history. He deserves to be called up. The problem for me, and I don't, I'm not even saying he, he shouldn't be called up. The problem for me is that Scamacca wasn't called up. Um, I think this is a bit of an oversight from Spalletti. I think now, obviously, Scamacca changed club didn't really do much at West Ham last year, has had a bit of a lost year in his career, but has had a very encouraging start to his career at Atlanta, got a few goals. Do you think Spalletti has missed a trick there? Do you think we need to move past Immobile? I think eventually he will be moved on. I think he's just genuinely, I think he's going to give Skamaka some time because don't forget, he's only really played a handful of games since he's Mm -hmm. had that injury at West Ham. Um, and I don't think last season helped Skamaka uh, in terms of that case. Um, Luciano, though, I, I think he will give trust to Skamaka eventually. Um, and don't forget, like, look look at the squad that he's got available. He's got the likes of Raspadori, if I'm not mistaken. He's got Rotegui, and then you've got, you got the players like Zakanyi, for example, that he can rotate within that kind of front line. Notto as well, he can bring off the bench if needs be. I think he's got a very um, appetizing forward line, shall we say, because he's always got the likes of Chiesa, right? Um, where I, I probably have a bit more question marks is the likes of Cristante. I don't think he's had a great start for Roma. I understand that he's more of a mm-hmm. defensive style player, 
but I don't think he's necessarily lit this season up um, because I, I remember there was a quote from Spalletti saying that he's going to base it on performances rather than their kind of prestige and who they play for. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit miffed by that one. Matteo Piscina as well. I know he's been in and out of the Italian squad, but I don't know, again, if he necessarily deserves a call-up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, otherwise it's Cristiano Braghi, uh, the left-back, who they brought in from Fiorentina. Last season, I could have maybe understood it a bit more, but this season, certainly not mm. when you've got Edoji, who's been fantastic for Spurs. And mm. I, 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 I was going to ask you, how much of a fuss has that been? Because I've seen a lot of social media talk about Edoji and how yeah. this guy should be in the Azuri squad and what does he have to do? Because he's going to be in the under-21s, but... Mm-hmm why is he in the under-21s when he's playing this well for Spurs? It's baffling. It's kind of crazy because he's one of the most exciting youth prospects in Italy, a dodgy, like we've seen him at Spurs. He's been amazing. He was incredible at Udinese. The whole time on the pod, we have been repping him while I was at Udinese saying, you've got to look out for this guy. When he signed for Spurs, I said, I'm annoyed he signed for Spurs because this (laughs) guy is really good. Um, I think it's a mad oversight from Spalletti. I really mm. think it's a bit mad. But I think what he's... He may have been distracted by Spinazzola and thought, okay, I've yeah. got to fit Spinazzola. Let's get him in the team. And then not really thought about who's going to be the backup and not really kind of panicked a bit. I just feel like it's a massive oversight, I hope. Because I think it's... like Obviously, he's been watching Spurs. Vicario's in the squad, right? It's not yeah, like team players outside Italy are getting ignored. I think maybe... But there is also, and it's funny, I was talking to the girlfriend about this uh, the other night, actually. There's a, a cultural thing in Italy about not trusting young players, and not trusting young people <laughs> yeah. in general, right? In the country, it's really yeah. difficult for young people because experience is everything, right? So mm-hmm. young people can never get jobs. It's just really difficult because it's all about experience and people you know. And this carries on into the football world as well. And this is why a lot of Italian prospects are now leaving Italy. They're all going to like the Premier League, like Casadei, yeah. uh, Chelsea and stuff. The average age in Serie A is but he's 46 because no young players get started. And I think there is a, a cultural thing there as well of yeah. young players not being trusted. But mm. how are you ever going to trust them if they don't get the experience? How are they going to get the experience if you don't give it to them, right? So I feel yeah, like there's exactly. a bit of a cultural thing there as well. But hopefully if, if a Doge keeps playing like he is, it's going to get to the point where Spalletti can't ignore it. Like it's going to be... Yeah, of course just plain mismanagement if he mm. doesn't pick him so i think mm. yeah it's a bit of a cultural thing there as well i think um yeah but then there's players like retegui who they're taking a massive punt on like he's had exactly. one good season in half decent season in argentina had a pretty good start with genoa like he's the, i think he's got one goal two goals so one far goal this season so far, one goal yeah. um they're taking a massive punt on him so i think it's it's kind of it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because he's also come out and said they're going to try and get the Stranieri, like he's going to get the the Italian players that are mm. born abroad and try and get like like naturalized more players because yes. there is a a lack of exciting young players in Italy, which I don't mm. think is true. I just think they're not giving them the chance. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Spalletti does. The other interesting thing is that he's made Di Lorenzo captain, right? First thing he does, yes. which I think is a really big move, and I like I it think um, as well. He's come straight in, got his Napoli captain, made him Italy captain. He knows he can trust him. He's got his sergeant. Um, But there are two very, very big games. Um, North Macedonia away, and then they have Ukraine in Milan uh, at the weekend. Um, Now, this North Macedonia team, they're not the same team they came up against last time, I think. Um, England have just battered them 7-0. 
Um, they are not doing particularly well at the moment. I think that kind of ride they had where they made it to the Euros with Goran Pandev, etc. I think they're kind of coming down it's off gone. that wave yeah. now. Um, do you expect Italy to get the job done? I think the only way they lose this is in their own heads, which I think is entirely possible. Yeah, it's either that or they um, play too aesthetically well and not do the job, if that makes mm. sense, i.e. get the ball in the back of the net. So they'll create yeah, lots yeah. of chances, but they'll frustrate the hell out of each other by not getting the ball in the back of the net. I think they'll get a scrappy 1-2-0 or two nil win, personally. I, I can't see it being a high-scoring match. But do you know what? At this stage, that's all that matters. Because yeah. um, I know Spalletti has speculated about the style, that he's already said they're going to be less pragmatic and more about the style of substance. And I think when you compare Napoli, we, we did it obviously on Monday night's show when we compared it to obviously Rudy Garcia's Lazio, uh, Napoli even, you can see there's a difference in terms of pressurizing the players, the intensity of the play, even um, I think the understanding you know, when they're doing certain set plays or just general like rhythms of play, you can see there's an understanding between the players and how they ping the ball to each other. That was definitely evident when you saw Napoli versus Lazio, that they were missing that kind of concentration and maybe kind of an understanding of how they were going to attack the teams. And I think that's probably what Italy fans want because they've mm. been getting a bit tired of Mancini and the way that they've been playing. Also, they've been getting a bit tired of Mancini's kind of favourites, a bit like we like England fans with Southgate, right? So I suspect this is kind of a bit of fresh air. It's the right time for Spalletti, I feel, to mm. get this opportunity. I think he'll be gunning to get some success for the Azzurri. Um, I, I'm open-minded about this Azzurri team now. Like, mm. I genuinely feel that like he will bring some really good levels of play, but also the right plays into the squad. And you think the depth of that under-21s and then the success of the under-19s recently, if he can kind of nurture that, how beautiful will that be for mm. decades to come? Because, you know, I'm thinking the likes of Tommaso Baldanzi, for example. You obviously said about Casadei as well. Italy have got a very bright future. It's just down to, like you just said, the opportunity. So yeah. let's wait and see. But... A dodgy. A dodgy is the man that's missing from this squad. But He's got to be there. He's got to be, be there. there I think one. in general, there is a lot of excitement about Spalletti. I think a lot of all Italian football fans are just delighted for him that he's got the job yes, and really yeah. excited to see what happens. So I think, yeah, they've got, they'll be fine. They'll get to the tournament. It's fine. It's World Cups. They don't get to Euros. They, they'll just go and win it and then they <laughs> yeah. won't qualify for the World Cup again. Um, but I'm very aware of time. We are yes. about an hour in and we've only done three groups. So we're going to kind of jump <laughs> to the only other group we really wanted to go in depth with was group i'm not sure how much you want to do this adam but we're going to go to group um oh i've lost it group e, group e which yes. is czech republic albania poland moldova and faroe islands now um mm -hmm. give us all that has been happening in poland now all i saw adam was something about skorupski and him lying him being a filthy liar yes. what is this he's been a filthy liar we've got to get that clip from home alone you filthy liar yeah. filthy <laughs> animal um <laughs> But essentially, uh, Lewandowski gave an interview to a sports program in Poland. It was a very eye-opening kind of interview because kind of very 
open in terms of he's normally a bit closed off or a bit more professional with his answers. This time it was a very much, here's the cards on the table and asked about the situation in the World Cup and about the various leaks, the stories that went about. In particular, there was this question brought a bomb around the kind of rumours of the bonuses that players were going to get and there was rumors that you know certain players were demanding more money etc or demanding various different payments and it's come out by Lewandowski that the leak was uh Lukasz Skorupski who is the goalkeeper for Bologna um he initiated to the squad that actually his words were taken out of context by the reporter um but he said well make of that what you will and kind of gave that kind of expression of, I don't believe it. I think it's bullshit, okay. basically. Um, which has definitely uh, got people thinking about the situation again. Uh, probably we didn't want to think about that situation again because it just gave us really bad memories of that period of time as well. Given that we were at this tournament, we would arguably... we went really far in the tournament it's fair to say we we didn't play very well um but so there was some other interesting points that Lewandowski bought out things like there's a lack of experienced players in the current squad right now under Fernando Santos yes that Fernando Santos and um the fact that um the younger players in the Poland squads do not ask him about his kind of opinions or just how to play the game or maybe just advice words of advice for example now where where this is a bit of contentious is that Lewandowski is kind of considered kind of arrogant or up himself given the status of where he is how I could, like I can see how that could happen and I can see how that could happen yeah where I suppose for Poland Lewandowski and Mrs Lewandowski are perceived they are pretty much the Beckhams of the Poland's nation should we say because you know the missus also does a lot of yoga and a lot of fitness stuff and she's kind of like miss perfects essentially okay. she's painted as this miss perfect individual and then you've got this talismanic man who turns up for tournaments is a world-class striker but he hasn't got the squad with him and yeah, yeah he's obviously lives up to that profile right um but yeah it was such a weird quote to come out because it's almost like well Levy, have you ever thought that you come across a bit of a dick sometimes yeah. and people don't really like you? Maybe you're not that approachable. You come across, Maybe yeah, like you're not approachable. Yeah, yeah. You're not very approachable. But he, he makes out that he actually is and he's disappointed that more youngsters don't come up to him. So, yes, maybe he will get loads of youngsters now coming up to him. Yeah, maybe questions. he'll probably go, sod off, off you've got to like, do an appointment now, basically. <laughs> um, but this is also in the context of, look, um, Fernando Santos took over this Polish national squad. We've just come off a very bad defeat against Moldova mm. in the last game. We lost 3 2 away. It's probably our worst defeat in our history against someone that's at a lower. We've never lost to a team l- lower ranks like Moldova ever in our history when it comes Damn. to qualification. So that says a lot about that defeat. And bear in mind, context, we also were winning 2 0 at the time. So we threw Jesus. it away to lose 3 2. Um, so terrible result for Poland. 
But good news, Rory. We have just confirmed a 2-0 win against Faroe Islands in Warsaw. So that gives us a good opportunity. And any other results uh, as we speak, which we'll talk about quickly, Czech Republic and Albania, who are currently first and second, they've drawn one all in Prague. So that means we now take on Albania on Sunday, hoping that Albania are very tired. Um, obviously, we know about Albania's squad to an extent because we've got the likes of Christian Aslani, who yeah, plays yeah, for yeah. Inter, Nedim Barami, who plays for Sassuolo, for example. So it's not we're not talking about a really depleted, no. you know, or underdog Albania side. They've got some quality. Um, Czech Republic. This is sorry, Albania are well. another emerging nation. They've got a lot of young mm-hmm. players coming through. Like Armando Broja, when he's fit, is Albanian as well, yes. right? They've got a lot of exciting players in that squad. Yeah. Exactly. So they've made it look handsomely easy. I mean, they have lost a game, Albania, in this kind of qualification round. um, But that means it's now two wins, draw and a defeat for them. For Poland, it's a win, two defeats, uh, two, sorry, two wins, two defeats now. So we're basically just a point behind Albania as it currently stands ahead of Moldova move up a place. Um, Makes it very much interesting going into the next game. So we n- nice. need to win essentially, um, and then we are back in with a chance. Um, I was worried before we went into record, Rory, that if we lost today, we could just screw it up and we could yeah, just yeah. say, "Let's screw, let's not even cover this group," right? Um, <laughs> but they've managed to do it. Um, you fight Czech to Republic, live another day. Just quick word on Czech Republic. I think they are a good side, but actually, I don't know if on the day that good enough i mean the players like adam hoshik who plays for leverkusen very good player vaclav cherny who plays for wolfsburg is another big player but they are missing the likes of thomas suchek uh, for this mm-hmm. round of qualification as well as david Jurasek. um so yeah it's going to be interesting I, I think poland will get revenge against the czech republic when they turn up in warsaw that's for sure um, but it depends on the momentum. Mm. Lot riding on this next game for Fernando Santos' career as well, because there's rumours that had we lost tonight, he definitely would have gone. Now it's all on this Albania game. So let's see. Um, but yeah, initial thoughts. Do you think it's going to be Czech Republic plus one other? Um, I think yeah, Czech Republic are a weird one, aren't they? Because I, I actually feel they're not that great. At the Euros, they got no. through and then they got knocked out in the group stages, they? right? I think. Yeah. Um, I just remember the goal against Scotland. I think they're a perfectly <laughs> yeah. average team, but always managed yeah. to qualify. I think Albania are the team that you need to be more worried about. I think they are yes, like yeah. the the definition of a banana skin, if you know what I mean, that you could just wander yeah. in and think, oh, you're playing Albania from 10 years ago. You're definitely not. Like, again, football manager players will know there's a lot of very exciting players coming through Albania. And if yeah. you scout there, you get a lot of very good players. Um, so I think there is a lot uh, coming through that country. So I think it'll be interesting, but I think Poland should. That win today, as you said, is absolutely massive, mm. even though it's against Faroe Islands. You've just got to get those points. Eh? It's just so important. So I think it's great. You've got that done. Hopefully, we will see you there, and hopefully Lewandowski will get one last ride um, before he disappears and before he um, yeah. before he retires. Fingers crossed, um, guys. We are massively out of time, and we're going to do the mastermind quiz as well. So all the other groups, um, the yeah, they're still there. Um, I, I think Portugal, Portugal are currently topping it. Gonna, Look, sorry, yeah, I was just going to pose you a question. Out of all the other groups, what is the one team that you would like us to kind of tell the listener about? If there's one team that you fancy to qualify for the Euros. look at, because there's an Italian link, 
Let's look at Hungary, Serbia, and Montenegro. Of course, Hungary coached by Marco Rossi. Yes. Um, very, very formidable team. Very difficult team to beat. In their group, they have won all... No, they've won two, drawn one. They've won three, drawn one, because it's not been registered yet. Um, just beating Serbia 2-1, which puts them six points ahead of Serbia now. Basically confirms their qualification, more or less. Um Oh, sorry, three points ahead. Um, and then Montenegro just slightly behind them. But next up, Serbia do have to play Montenegro. They have one game against them left, which is weird because Serbia and Montenegro mm. were one team a couple of years ago. Yes. So I'm surprised yeah. they've yeah. been allowed to. You know, there's teams that are separated, like, I don't know, Israel aren't allowed to be drawn against anybody. Like, there's teams <laughs> that are separated, so they never play. I'm surprised Serbia and Montenegro aren't there. But I think that is the group you should be keeping your eye on the most because there's three teams there separated by five points and it's all to play for and plenty of narrative. I also really, I know Hungary as a country aren't particularly popular at the moment, but I really like their football team. I really like yeah. their football team and I hope they do really well. I think they've been, they've been beating, they beat England, right? They've been doing really well yeah, against yeah, yeah. big teams for a while. So I think it'd be great to see them at another tournament. Is there one other team you want to talk about, Adam? I want to just briefly talk about Group J because one element is Roberto Martinez doing fantastically well with Portugal. Um, they've not conceded a goal yet in this qualification round. So that's one story to say. But quickly, because it was just something that came up when I was doing the research with Slovakia. So they currently find mm -hmm. themselves second place in this group. Um, they might be battling out with Luxembourg. I never thought we'd be saying those words. But Slovakia are currently led by an Italian as well, Francesco mm. Calzona, who is or was the ex-assistant at Calgary back nice. in the day. So he's been in charge of Slovakia's national team for the last two years. Um, just for a period of time, Marek Hamsik came out of retirement just to play two games here in the qualification oh, rounds against... It was uh, Iceland and Liechtenstein, um, but he's now called time, just in time for this game where they have to take on Portugal. So yeah. he probably saw Portugal squad and went, nah, I can't be yeah, doing I running. don't fancy it that much, boys. <laughs> yeah, I don't fancy it that much. Um, but the reason I want to call this one out is Luxembourg. They find themselves in third place. If they can better the results now against Slovakia, they could be an outsider for these Euros. Now, I'll just call out the name. It might give you shivers down your spine yeah. when I say this, Rory, but Gerson Rodriguez. I remember uh, him well. He was the one that scored a distance down at Lansdowne Road, or I think it was, yeah. or somewhere like that. At so, Cro yeah, yeah at, uh, at the Aviva. Um, Aviva even now. Yeah, yeah, Luxembourg, when you mentioned them, I was like, oh, God. Um, they're another <laughs> team that have been improving slowly but surely. The, this is the bonus of the Nations League, people. These countries are improving. Um, and yes. Luxembourg have been improving a lot. And they beat Ireland, and it was bloody embarrassing. But people are actually realizing that Luxembourg are actually pretty decent. They've got, again, so, mm. um, a few players that play across the top divisions in Europe. I think there's quite a few in Germany. Um, and, yeah, yeah, slowly improving yeah, yeah. team, but definitely another... Another one to keep your eye on. Like if you if you see yeah, him yeah. scrolling through on telly, see him playing, give him a watch. They play some pretty decent and stuff. I think one more call out, Armenia. Currently mm. find themselves second in group D. Uh, but the player I want to call out is a player that plays in Argentina. So Norbert Barasco, <laughs> who plays for Boca Juniors, but qualifies for Armenia through his mum. So he's playing for wow. Armenia's national squad and he's a striker. One to keep an eye out on. And Armenia also have a few naturalization players so there's a nigerian who's 
basically started his career in Armenia, played for a lot of Armenian clubs. He goes by the name of Okochi Uwa, currently plays for Ruben Kazan. And then we've also got a German-born striker. He plays currently for Gladbach, but previously of Bayern Munich in their wow. youth academy, Grant Leon Ramos. Um, so one to keep an eye out. Again, he scored already two goals in the qualifications for Armenia. So yeah, some really outside chances nice. for Armenia to qualify for the first tournament ever as well. That's good Could to see some play because I think they were a team that was just like Mkhitaryan and that was it, right? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's good much. to see that they've got a bit more like quality coming through. Um, yeah, it kind of makes sense that Armenia would have a lot of players abroad, I suppose. Um, that kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Good. Well, guys, we are going to take a very quick break. Um, and after this, it's going to be the mastermind quiz. And now it is my turn to answer the questions. We will see you after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And here we are. Welcome to Mastermind. I'm going to hand over the hosting duties to Adam as it's my turn to take the back seat. Here we go, Adam. It is, yes. So I'm going to have to try and make sure you don't score as much or try and outdo me from the last round, which won't be hard because I've got a fat zero on the last round. Um, So Rory, you have got two sets of questions. Um, one, I thought we'd theme it around what we've been talking about just now. So we've got a Euros Ooh. quiz, which covers both qualification and the history of teams at the tournaments. So there's an op- opportunity to take those questions. Or the alternative is football nicknames in the UK. So teams in the UK, about their like nicknames. Which would you prefer? I will stick with the theme. (laughs) I'll stick with the episode theme and I'll take the Euros questions. It would seem a bit... Yeah, I'll take the Euros questions. Let's do it. Cool. Cool. Let's do this. So I'm going to put a stopwatch ready. So we'll do this in one minute, Rory. We'll do this in three, two, one. Who was the first ever nation to win the Euros tournament? Yugoslavia. Incorrect. How many nations have won the tournament? Eight. Incorrect. Oh. Uh, when was the first year for dual countries to host the tournament? 2012. Incorrect. Uh. In 2012, Spain beat who in the final to win the tournament? Italy. Correct. Number five. What is the name of the trophy? Pass. <laughs> okay. Six. Which two teams have won the tournament three times? Uh, France and Holland. 
Incorrect. No, in the first ever tournament in 1960, name the four nations that did not compete. And we've got time up, but I will Oof. give you the opportunity okay. to answer this question. So I'll repeat the question. Yeah. In the first ever tournament in 1960, name the four nations that did not compete. Um, I'm going to say England, because England had a weird thing about not competing in international tournaments. Um, so I'm going to say England, Russia, France, and Italy. But Weren't too bad. You got two of them right, but the other's incorrect. So... I'll give you the answers now. So it's England, West Germany, as they were known then, Netherlands, and Italy. Um, If we go back to the other questions, so who won the first Euros tournament? It was Soviet Union. Oh, I knew it was one of the ones that didn't exist anymore. (laughs) You were so close with number two. You said eight. It's actually nine teams that have won the tournament. Um, First year for the dual countries to host the tournament. 2000 so that was holland oh, and of Jerba, course it Belgium was um it. you got the uh 2012 spain did beat italy in the tournament Ooh. to win the, t- the trophy uh the name of the trophy henry delani so that's named after the french guy so that's where it okay. was held first time uh the two nations that have won the tournament three times it was germany and spain oh and yeah, that's where we came up to. That was it. So, one. well done, Rory. You got one. <laughs> I beat you. That's fine. That's good progress. <laughs> yeah. We go again. Nice. It was progress. <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, nice. But I have, just to give you something, just random question here, because I thought this was a delightful question. Oldest player to play at a tournament at the Euros. Can you guess the player? And it's fairly recent. Okay. Oldest player. Um... Goran Pandev. Oh, I thought you were going to get it then. Gib- Gabor Kurali, the 40-year-old pajama man. Damn, what a legend. <laughs> Absolute hero of the game as well. <laughs> yes. Absolute hero of the game. I think I saw him play at the Alex for Palace and we spent the whole time just <laughs> laughing at his pajama trousers, just giving him pelters from behind about his pajamas. Yeah, oh, what a hero. Good work. Nice. Well, Adam, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Oh, um, guys, we are going to be back on Monday with a review of the international fixtures, talking about what's happened, what hasn't well what has happened mainly i suppose um as always thank you for joining us you can follow us on twitter at italian anglo pod on instagram at anglo italian pod you can find us on tiktok because we're cool and hip at anglo italian pod um and if you're on youtube hit the like and subscribe button if you're on your phone please press the follow give us a five-star review if you're feeling extra generous give us a little comment about how fantastic we were and it all makes a big difference and it takes a little effort so thank you guys Mm. um adam anything to say before i send them off with our customary quote just to say if after all of that you feel very generous and would like to uh kind of reward me and rory for our efforts as we don't do this for free it comes out of our pockets all of this uh, you can just donate a little coffee for us. There is a link in our link tree. So uh, feel free to do that as well. It would be greatly, greatly appreciated. You know, the Italians love coffee. I need a coffee budget, right? It's good coffee out here. Um, <laughs> so guys, controversially, our comment this week, it went a bit viral online and it comes from a Spurs fan. Now, I don't have the name, but it was under the username of I see jealousy in mayhem. I see jealousy and mayhem. Um, It was on the Guardian website, and it's a description 
of one man's journey into the new Spurs team. <clears throat> Imagine an away trip to Burnley under Jose or Conte. Ideally, for pathetic fallacy, it would be a Monday night in February. Turgid dross. At best, one all with an 87th-minute own goal by Burnley for our equaliser in a game that you swore had been going on for 290 hours, but you look at your watch and it was only 10 minutes into the second half. The sort of end-of-days Jose game where your mind starts wandering and you find yourself wondering, do I have any toilet duck left in the house and how tempted am I to squirt it into my eyes? <laughs> Ange, who knows how will this, how this will end. But for the first time in a while, I would happily choose watching Spurs over having root canal work without anaesthetic. And for that, I thank you. We will see you on Monday, guys. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Sports Social Podcast Network.